over to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks, the CIO of Equities here at McKenzie Investments. We talk all about the beginning of the year, what her view on the Bank of Canada and Fed is, stop and talk a little bit about Chinese equities, as well as what to expect in the U.S. for the rest of the year. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Leslie Marks. Leslie is the CIO of Equities at McKenzie. Leslie, welcome back, and uh, Happy New Year. A little late for that, but it's the first time uh, we've had you on this year. Well, happy to be here once again, Matt. I'd love to start off just by talking about the new year. Uh, We're almost at the end of the first month. Uh, We've had a pretty strong tailwind heading into talks of central bank policy easing. Any thoughts on how things have played out so far? Yeah, I mean, so much has changed in, you know, you think about the last few months of 2023, um, where markets were really responding to the pivot, if you will, in thinking around the outlook for interest rates and just a general bias towards central banks cutting uh, interest rates, or at least admitting that we were at the peak of interest rates. And that really fueled um, almost all asset classes, but we saw a very strong end to the year for both equities and bonds. And and when we did our our blue book, our outlook, uh, which was published in November, our view then was that uh, bonds had been over, they were oversold and that there was a real opportunity there um, vis-a-vis equities in the sense that, that bonds should outperform. Push forward to two months and as the calendar turned to early January and after the strong move upward in bond prices, we felt that the balance between risk reward had, had really shifted actually between those two asset classes and mm. moved to a more neutral exposure towards um, that view with equities and bonds. Now, we had a very slow start in, in the year, a slow trading week, and um, equities pulled back a little bit and people were a little bit nervous about uh, what that meant for 2024. But um, what we have seen over the last few weeks and really rounding out the month of January has been a continuation of um, the trend, certainly for equities uh, for the year um, that we saw last year, particularly uh, U.S. equities and Japanese equities. They've been really leading the way. Canada has been a little bit held back because of our lower exposure to technology, you know, we still have some exposure to tech stocks here in, in Canada. Uh, those stocks are up about 8% on the year, which is really nice. But the materials sector is a big, bigger sector, and that's held us back um, and been a bit of a negative offset for the TSX, particularly uh, silver and gold stocks. Now, the really interesting nuance here, though, is the, a slight change to what we saw ending out 2023, which is that bonds have actually pulled back and and yields have actually Mm. moved a little bit higher. So I think there's been some change um, around the view and the timing of interest rate cuts finding its way into the economy. And yet equities are really shrugging this off. 
Wonderful summary. A couple of things that uh, as you were going through, I'll, I'll circle back to. But the first one I want to talk about is sort of the correlation between equities and fixed income. Uh, you referenced Q4 2023 equity and uh, bonds going up fairly significantly, highly correlated. We all remember uh, 2022 uh, where we saw a significant correlation again between those two asset classes, but in a very negative way <laughs> uh, during that time. Uh, and then the divergence now, how should investors be thinking about that correlation dynamic between equity? and bonds. Is there, is there a key ingredient that they need to be um, paying attention to to understand how they may move? Well, I think the most important thing is, is for most investors is to align their asset allocation with their risk tolerance and their investment uh, portfolio objectives and their time horizon. And so that really guides the decision on that allocation between stocks and bonds at, at, mm-hmm. in the simplest of terms. Um, and for most, the average Canadian is in some form of a balanced portfolio. And so trying to get cute about thinking about correlations um, in shorter periods of time can be a little bit dangerous for the average investor. Over longer periods of time, you would expect those asset classes to help smooth out the ride, save for certain periods where you've seen correlation and returns. But overall, there are different times that each of those asset classes will perform for you. And that's the most important thing that investors should be thinking about. And sometimes it's just a lag in perspective. You know, the bond market may lead the way. Many people will think that bonds tend to lead what's happening in equities. Either way, I think having that diversification is really important for most investors. Makes a lot of sense. Love to turn to inflation now. Clearly, inflation was the big story of uh, the last couple of years, really. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about your views on inflation now, um, whether it's becoming an issue for the bond market, and then maybe some comments in general about the Houthis uh, and sort of the attacks on the shipping within the Red Sea, and if that's going to cause um, another round of inflation that's perhaps unexpected. It's a good point to focus on inflation uh, first here because. Inflation could be what has been driving that um, or fears of inflation coming back. The uh, negative correlation that we've seen between stocks and bonds here, it seems to me like that is starting to creep into uh, pricing for bonds and yet it doesn't seem to be a concern for the equity market. And that's really about the magnitude. So if we're thinking we're going to see a little bit of an increase or an uptick in inflation, um, that makes sense that you know, that would negatively impact bond prices. Yet, if that's based on the economy, surprising to the upside, on balance, that's good for equities. Um, We've seen some interesting data on on inflation. Generally, CPI has come in uh, a little bit stronger than expected. But just today, we saw uh, the US core PCE or personal consumption expenditure price index. I know it's a mouthful, but it happens to be a really important one because uh, we're going to hear from the Fed next week and it's the one that they focus on. And the trend still continues to be lower on that metric. Now, there is some risk that pricing is stickier than expected because the U.S. economy has certainly surprised to the upside. Yesterday, we saw GDP data, U.S. GDP data coming in at 3.3%. That's a good year. I would say if you bring those two data points together, um, fairly stable inflation and a good GDP number over 3%. That's about as Goldilocks as one could get. Um, for investors, again, that's that's a very attractive backdrop uh, for investing. Now, let's take this to the second part of your question, which is about 
the Houthis and, and the attacks in, in the Red Sea and diversions of shipments away from the Red Sea. This is really interesting um, because I think we all have a little bit of PTSD around the recent um, impact of shipping delays and costs during the COVID pandemic. And there's two impacts, you know, that are only natural from an event like this and that we experienced during COVID. One is, of course, higher shipping costs when you're diverting shipments away from the lowest cost uh, route. Um, The second is, of course, supply disruption. So these are two things that nobody wants to hear about uh, right now. Um, I think if if that particular shock turns out to be transitory, which typically in a conflict-induced shock would be the case, then there wouldn't be any uh, material economic impact. Marginal, yes. And I also think that the impact is different in different regions. In the United States, there's more options of shipping routes between um, China and and North America or Asia in general. Um, With respect to Europe, there are less options. And so shipping costs have, and I think this is probably where you were going, they have increased on average or an aggregate around 100% over the last month. Um, But that number has been a lot higher on the shipping routes into Europe and we did see our first piece of data in a recent purchasing managers survey where European purchasing managers actually did indicate that shipments were taking longer uh, to come into Europe. And this happens to be, of course, um, as it would, uh, a key shipping season ahead of the shutdown for Chinese New Year. So, um, of course, that would be the case. But um, as I said, I typically view this type of disruption as more transitory, and uh, we don't expect this to have longer term or major implications, um, such to the extent that we saw again during the COVID pandemic. So I'd hesitate to draw that uh, comparison. It's just, I think people are more sensitive to it because there's a recency effect of uh, that period of time. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Maybe we'll stick on inflation, but extend it to, I guess, central bank policy. Clearly uh, something that central bankers are are closely monitoring to determine where they can go with interest rates. Uh, We heard uh, from the Bank of Canada this week, they uh, didn't change interest rates, but it was widely reported that there was dovish tones to it. Was this surprising to you in any way? And has it uh, made you adjust uh, your views? I think overall, uh, no surprises in the Bank of Canada decision or the commentary. And one of the things that I like to do as soon as the decision comes out is I like to look at um, where Canadian government bond yields are going and and how the dollar is reacting. And in both cases, um, the reaction was fairly muted and sort of, you know, up a few basis points in yields and then down a few basis points. Sure. Um, Canadian dollar similarly had a, had a very small move. So that indicates that whatever the Bank of Canada was saying was consistent with what the market was seeing. But I think for the benefit of our listeners, it would be good to double click here beyond sort of the headlines and uh, and talk a little bit about the monetary policy report that accompanied the announcement. Because the monetary policy report is released quarterly. The last one was in October. So it's good to gauge a change in trend from the report. Um, there are two things that I took from the report. The first one is that the Bank of Canada is expecting the Canadian economy to remain weak uh, in the first half of this year and pick up in the second half of last year. They acknowledge that the Canadian economy showed a marked slowdown beginning the middle of uh, 2023. 
And the expectation for GDP growth for this year for Canada is only, I think it's just under 1%. They also acknowledge that higher interest rates were expected to keep a lid on the economy, obviously impacting businesses and consumers here in Canada, but that government spending was expected to offset um, the weaker growth from higher interest rates. So when I hear that, I'm not really sure how that translates into a pickup in spending in in the second half. So I would, my interpretation of that is I think that the second half forecast is a a little bit at risk. We could actually end up coming in um, softer than expectations. Unless coming to number two, which is my second uh, takeaway from the report, where the Bank of Canada said that they believe that the Canadian economy is in an excess supply situation. So inflation should continue to ease. And there probably is some validity to that, especially in the case of the Bank of Canada, if they know that uh, rate cuts are on the horizon. This will have an impact, obviously, on easing prices, housing, rent, etc. And um, so I think that That was another tell to show that the Bank of Canada is looking around the June timeframe to start cutting rates. And that's where they have more comfort that the back half of the year could be better for economic growth. Great summary. And and thanks for the double click. Uh, Makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, If we shift our focus south and we uh, talk about the Fed, they're meeting next week. Are you expecting sort of a similar message out of the Fed? I am. You know, you alluded to the Bank of Canada's dovish tilt. And I think that based on the commentary that we've been getting over the last few weeks from Fed governors on balance, um, that would be the expectation. So no change in rate, no change in the policy, but a continuation of dovish commentary. Now, where there may be a little bit of a walk back is um, the Federal Reserve in their last meeting talked about something like three uh, rate cuts or 75 basis points. The market is pricing in much more than that, maybe almost double. So there may be some attempt to try and walk back the market that people may interpret as having a little bit of a hawkish undertone, but I don't think that that is a change in Fed view. I think it's the Fed trying to manage market expectations. Great. We'll see that about that uh, next week, to be sure. Moving across the ocean uh, and talking about Chinese stocks, uh, which is something that uh, it seems like we talked a lot about at the beginning of uh, 23 or maybe the end of 22, and then we really haven't talked a lot about them since. And uh, recently, uh, we've seen the PBOC cut uh, 50 basis points from the reserve requirement ratio for banks. Do you think that's enough government support to really get Chinese equities to start participating with the rest of the world? Yeah, Chinese equities have have really been out of sync with the rest of the world. And and interestingly, when we were talking about them in early 2023, it was in the context of um, the reopening of China and how good that would be for the Chinese economy. So the short story of 2023 is that I think the economic bounce was a bit disappointing, and that really filtered through into the stock market. Of course, the market is is has this overhang related to the property market as well. So when I talked about Chinese stocks being out of sync with the rest of the world, I think it's because the Chinese economy has been out of sync with the rest of the world and and is on a different um, cycle plane, if you will. But I think it's a really positive signal that the Chinese central bank is doing what they can to help to encourage lending by the banking system to try and stimulate both businesses and consumers in China. As far as 
you know, this being um, support for the Chinese equity market and whether or not Chinese stocks will start to behave like the rest of the world. Of course, in the first week, the Chinese stocks had a nice bounce up two to three percent. So in the, in the short term, you would say, yes, that's that's actually been the case. Sure. Uh, longer term, I, th- I think we're going to need to continue to see more stability in the property market, a continued support by the government and the Bank of China, the People's Bank of China. And that is my expectation. So I think that the downside is probably more limited here in uh, China from a cyclical perspective. And when there are signals like the triple R, um, the decrease in the triple R requirement for banks, I think that is an indication that investors should take notice of because that was a surprise. People weren't expecting that. So there's certainly a sense of some urgency here to uh, support the Chinese capital markets. That's uh, great. And maybe taking that and, and, and we'll leave China there uh, and come back to the U.S. And I'd love to talk to you about uh, equities in the U.S. We've, uh, we're uh, in the midst of earning seasons. Uh, people seem pretty excited about how earnings have been coming in. Do you share that excitement? I love talking about earnings season because it's so fascinating just to see the differences in different companies and different sectors and just to see how the market is reacting to the news. And it just, there's so many headlines. It's, it's just, a, you know, sort of an exciting time. But I think that when you look at earnings reports, and we're still early in earnings season, if you were a Netflix shareholder, for example, you'd be feeling really good about earnings season so far. Right. They obviously, I mean, everybody knows they, they blew away expectations and they pretty much... You know, what's so interesting about Netflix is they pretty much cemented their place in the winner as, as the winner in, in the streaming wars. If you look at all the other streaming providers who have very strong libraries, it's, it's been incredible to watch Netflix kind of Amazon themselves in the streaming world. And, you know, there's another nuance there, which is that the company's strategy to crack down on password sharing has really paid off. Um, people are certainly showing that they don't want they don't want a life without Netflix. So they're either going to buy the with ad version subscription or they're stepping up and paying for their own subscription. So that's really boosting subscriber growth. And, and you know, this is an example of a company, and we also talked about these types of stories in our um, blue book, w- where there's evidence of durable growth. And so I think of this as an, a great example of durable growth. Um, another example where we saw strong earnings, and I would call this more an example of a company that's benefiting from innovation or uh, technological um, advancements was um, TSMC or Taiwan Semiconductor. They're the world's largest chip maker. Uh, earlier in uh, 2023, there was a supply gut in uh, chips, but now the investment that we're seeing in things like artificial intelligence is really fueling demand for their chips. And their outlook has improved significantly. Um, there's a company that's looking for 20% revenue growth this year. So now let's contrast that with some of the more economically sensitive companies, which we've been more cautious on in, in thinking about the outlook for uh, this year. Uh, one example would be um, uh, 3M. So in contrast to Netflix, they reported um, their earnings. Their their company is, is more focused on consumer and industrial products. And the street was disappointed by the company's earnings report. 
you know, part of their wounds are a bit self-inflicted as they shed lower growth uh, businesses or business lines, but their expectation for growth for 2024 is only in the zero to 2% sales growth range. So not to say that they can't, you know, still generate profitable growth on the, on the bottom line, but that shows the difference in the impact of an, a more economically sensitive company as opposed to a company that has a real secular growth uh, tailwind really pushing um, the top line. And the expectations are for lower growth this year because last year really we benefited from, the global economy benefited from the surprising resilience of primarily the U.S. economy. So overall, we see companies that are showing, you know, durable growth, innovative trends, doing really well this earnings season. And those that are more economically sensitive are a, a little more challenged. Is that fair to say it's a, an extension of what we saw late last year and, uh, and coming into this year? I think it's an extension in the that was the outlook for for 2023 that economic sensitivity would be um, a challenge and a headwind for companies. It didn't really turn out to be that case in in 2023, but I think we're we're migrating to that in in 2024. And what I should say is also the earnings. Uh, expectations, because we haven't seen all of the fourth quarter earnings come in yet, is actually for flat, as in zero growth for the S&P 500 in 2023 versus 2022. And I think we're going to come in around that level. And we all know it was a huge year for US stocks. So zero earnings growth, big year for US stocks, all multiple expansion driven. Um, 2024, the current expectations, now they always start off the year high, are around 10% oh, wow. earnings growth. So with a slower economy, if, if that ends up being the case in, in 2024, it's hard to see um, a 10% earnings growth number when the economy isn't growing at the same rate as we saw in 2023, where we had zero growth. Right. I, I guess we shall see. Last question for you, and we probably can't get uh, away from this uh, all year, or at least until November. Uh, we saw Trump uh, easily uh, win the primary in New Hampshire. Most recently, he seems well on his way to be uh, anointed as the uh, Republican representative, which would take us to a Trump-Biden uh, mm-hmm. redo. Does this have any implications for markets in your view? And if so, what are they? So I think in general, elections don't tend to have major overall at the top level impacts on markets. Um, I think where an election starts to create a little bit more volatility in the market is is when things, when there's uncertainty and, and people don't really know what's going to happen. So I think we're we're still far away. I know it doesn't maybe feel like it, but a lot can change. And we've seen that happen in history between now and November. So there are going to be some twists and turns here. Um, I don't think there's going to be, you know, while, while the Republican primary race may, you know, may, many may consider that to be over very quickly in the next month or so, to the point where we have visibility that it will be a Trump-Biden matchup. Um, I, I still think that the outcome, despite what polls are saying, um, there's a lot of uncertainty around that. And that that will have policy implications, and the impact will be felt more sector by sector. And so examples of that I, I would give are, and this is at a very high level, but Donald Trump has talked a lot about the role of tariffs 
and the importance of tariffs in his platform. He hasn't talked about a lot in, in his election platform, but that's one thing. So for Canadians, that could have pretty significant impact, for example. And there's certain sectors in the U.S. that rely on the import of goods for raw materials, et cetera, that could be impacted. So I think there's just an overall cloud of volatility. But what I think investors need to remember is the biggest driver of markets tends to be fundamentally based or economically based. And I I referenced the good old Goldilocks metaphor in in a decent growth, low inflation environment with central bankers uh, on balance more dovish, leaning towards cutting rates rather than raising rates. That's generally a very good environment for investing in risky assets. So we'll all be really involved in the day-to-day drama of the U.S. election for sure. Um, but let's you know make sure we see the forest through the trees on uh, how this impacts our portfolios. Let's call it there. Thank you so much, Leslie, for walking through your views. Uh, very informative. Thanks again. Thanks once again for having me, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 